Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. When economists set out to measure economic growth and progress over time, one challenge is accounting for striking differences in the quality of goods. Computers, cell phones, and cars on the market today are not easily comparable to those available in 1990. But over the centuries, remarkably little has changed about the common construction nail. For that reason, today's guest explores American economic history through the story of nails, studying nail production and costs over the past three centuries. Dan Cycle joins this episode of Political Economy to explain what we can learn from the humble nail. Dan is a professor of economics at Wellesley College in Massachusetts and the author of the recent paper, The Price of Nails Since 1695, A Window into Economic Change. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. There are a number of books out there that attempt to show something about human history through a single item. I think there's, there's, there are books out there about coffee and salt and bread and beer. I think there's one book about six different types of alcohol drinks. Uh, for your paper, you focused on nails. What is the attraction or advantage when looking at economic change throughout centuries or more through the very common nail? So the really common nail, Jim, provides a great window into thinking about the broad scope of uh, economic change um, in a couple of really interesting dimensions. One is when we think about innovation and we think about change over time and technological progress and advances in manufacturing, we often think about the really dynamic high-tech products like we might think about lighting or about uh, computation computing and uh, Bill Nordhaus has done really interesting work on that. But nails are just a regular manufactured product. They're not spectacular. They're not dynamic. They don't seem to change rapidly. A nail produced 300 years ago or even 2,000 years ago wouldn't look very different from one today. So it makes a, provides a really interesting window to think about for just everyday common products, innovation, the role of innovation, the effects of innovation, how changes in manufacturing process uh, in just simple products feed through to all different dimensions of the economy. How far back did you go as far as looking sort of the, the history of the price and the quality and the changes? How far, how far back are we talking? So I pulled prices on nails back to 1695. Uh, and the really interesting period starts about 100 years later when there's the shift from the way nails have been made for centuries of a blacksmith uh, making nails one at a time by hand to the beginning of automation and the process of nail making. And so I did some more detailed analysis from 1790 forward to the present, really trying to dig into what were some of the forces and factors that were behind really dramatic declines in prices of nails that I found. Now, uh, to find those prices, uh, you, you you just couldn't go to a database somewhere, I, I imagine. Uh, how, 
was there a database or do you have to dig up a lot of this information by yourself, especially, you know, going back to the, you know, the 1700s and early 1800s? Yeah, so it's somewhere in between. Um, I did have to do a fair bit of scrounging to find the data, but economic historians have done a lot of that work. And so I pulled from many different sources for different time periods. So my real contribution wasn't being the first person to find out what did it cost to buy a nail in 1697, but rather taking those data on nail prices and combining them with uh, data on nails prices from the successive periods bringing us up to the present, and then doing some thoughtful linking to try to deal with changes in quality and so on. Although the, one of the interesting things about nails is that there really aren't big changes in quality over time. Some small ones, but not, uh, not, not the way there are, say, for uh, computers or something. For those of the, the listeners who are a little familiar with the Wealth of Nations, Adam Smith famously wrote about, uh, about pin making. Uh, as a way of talking about, uh, you know, specialization, the division of uh, labor. Was that an inspiration at all when you chose the nail? Uh, you know, I chose the nail for a different set of reasons, but I very quickly backed into Adam Smith for just the reason you said. And the description that Adam Smith had of a pin factory and the kinds of changes that brought about productivity advance in the manufacture of pins would all apply almost directly to, uh, they almost all apply directly to nails as well. Nails seem like they're important. It's tough to build a building, especially back then without nails, but I was shocked about like how important they were, especially as a share of the economy. That may be one of the most stunning numbers that come from your paper. Yeah, that is a really, it's a really interesting fact. I was quite, uh, quite surprised by it when I, when I came across that as well. And the basic fact is that if we go back, the, er the earliest I could pull numbers for this was to 1810. And you think about uh, the, the fancy word that economists would use, right, domestic absorption, but basically the use of nails in the economy, production plus exports minus imports. So how many nails are people using in the economy? added up to a little bit less than one half percent of GDP, about 0.4 percent of GDP, which really is astonishing in that if we think about that in a modern context, that would be about the same share of GDP as household purchases of computers or household purchases of air travel. So nails were a really big deal in that earlier period. Of course, construction, which would have been the main use of nails then, was a much bigger share of the economy because there were so many other things that we just weren't doing because people were so, back in the late 1700s, would have been so focused on just meeting basics, basic needs, uh, food, shelter, clothing, and so on. And so shelter played a much uh, you know, bigger share and consequently nails were, were an important product. Oh, back in the 1700s, uh, they would burn a building down to get those nails back. You just did not throw nails away. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, uh, accounts of uh, abandoned buildings being burned down so that one could recover the nails because the nails, uh, high price, uh, big deal. Um, even even later, there's the in, in the paper, I, I pull a passage from uh, Little House on the Prairie, which is written written in the 20th century, but describing life on the frontier in the 1870s. And even then there's this lovely passage about how precious, uh, how precious uh, nails were at that time. And again, you, you didn't want to waste a nail because they were expensive and, and hard to come by. The price of a nail has fallen uh, a lot. Uh, not like, as you mentioned, light. 
nails a little a little bit different. How much did it decline, and and what do we know about that decline? So from late 1700s through about the middle of the 20th century, nail prices fell by a factor of about 10, and that's after that's compared to prices of a general basket of consumer goods and services. So you know relative to something like the consumer price index, so looking at real prices, so about a factor of 10, which over that time span translates into about one and a half percent decline in the real price per year. So again, as you said, nothing like computers or lighting, um, but enough to over a period of uh, 150 some odd years to add up to pretty substantial declines. How useful is literature as a way of learning about living standards throughout history? Economists always try to use a lot of data to answer those sorts of questions, but I would imagine that books like Jane Austen novels could also be useful. Yeah, I think, I think that's, a, that's a really interesting observation. And, and I think a kind of broad read of literature from an earlier period can kind of point economists or, or other researchers to, to interesting questions with, hey, here's something that was really different in that, uh, in that earlier time. I came at it a little bit differently as I started with the numbers in the economics and then thought, boy, if here's a product whose price fell by a factor of 10, that's a really big deal. And again, falling from nearly half a percent of GDP to a de minimis share today, that's a really big deal. And maybe that's reflected in popular accounts of how people thought about and talked about nails in these earlier periods. And so that then kind of drew me to look for examples more broadly in, uh, in literature. And I should do a, a word search in uh, Jane Austen and see where nails appear in, uh, in Jane Austen. Uh, so we saw a decline in price, but what else changed about nails that helps explain that decline in price? So it, it's one of the things about nails that makes them so perfect for this is that their form really didn't change so much. So if you want to track prices of computers over the last 50 years, or you want to track the price of lighting uh, over the last uh, 200 years, you have to deal with the fact that the product delivering what you want, either computation or light, changed a lot. And for nails, they really didn't change very much. So we get a pretty clean read. And what we find is that there were very dramatic changes in the manufacturing process. So starting to come back to Adam Smith, starting with the sort of uh, organizational changes of how production was set up and the specialization of labor involved in uh, production of nails back in the uh, back in the 18th century. And then we get a transition to factory production. We get increasing automation. We get a shift from hand forged nails to cut nails that could be made with machines. We get a transition ultimately then late in the 19th century to wire nails. Um, we get a shift in the power sources used, going from hand power to water power, to steam power, to electric power. And so all of these things together contributed to the very large advances in productivity and production of nails, which then showed through to big declines in their prices. In the paper, you noted that factors other than automation were of crucial importance to the economic story of the 19th century. What else was going on? So the automation is clearly important because the shift from hand production to factory production and so on clearly was a big deal, but there's more going on than just that. 
there's the shift in power sources, which is related to automation, but not exactly the same thing. It's that electricity is a much better power source for manufacturing than is water power. And a great kind of example of how a shift in power source can uh, lead to big changes in productivity aside from the direct automation effects comes from the economic historian Paul David, who talked about the transition from steam to electricity. And with steam power or with water power, you have a single source of power, either a water wheel or a steam engine. And then you have to transmit that power through a factory, typically through a series of belts. Um, and that's not a very efficient way to transmit power through a factory. When you're using electricity, you can have a small motor on each machine wherever you want in the factory. And then you can optimize the factory for materials handling rather than for power transmission. And so we get a different style of factory. And it turns out that those kinds of changes in the organization of production uh, end up being very important, as well as just here's something that a person used to do and now a machine can do it. Sometimes it takes a long time for these new technologies to be used. Uh, that's one point from that, uh, that paper. Just because we, we figure out a new way of doing things, everybody's got to kind of be convinced that's a good way of doing things. And then if you have a factory, well, you've already invested in the factory doing it the old way, you may not do it in a new way for some time. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Uh, Paul David uh, did that work specifically to talk about the time lags from when the basic technology of electricity was uh, available, the how long it took until it was really widely used and began to show up in productivity statistics. He was using that as an analogy for why computers didn't immediately boost productivity back in the 1980s when personal computers and so on were spreading. Same thing for nails, though, for exactly the reason that you said. If somebody had a water-powered uh, a water-powered uh, factory for making nails, that was there, it was running, they made all of the investments, and it probably made sense to continue using that. Uh, one of the data sources I used was the 1850 and 1870s um, census extracts that where I could track individual companies that were making nails and sort of see how they were organizing production. And uh, in the 1870s, you know, there was still one water-powered plant that was uh, making nails. Uh, you know, mostly steam, but there was still one that was hanging on and presumably, uh, you know, making some reasonable, making enough money to continue, uh, continue doing that. What is balloon frame construction? How did nails come into play? Yeah, so it's a fancy, it's a fancy term for just the current style of how houses get built. It's also known sometimes as stick construction or just the usual thing of uh, having a house built uh, with two by four studs um, in the walls that are supporting the weight of the, uh, of the house. That became a standard style of construction during the 19th century. Prior to that, the style of construction more typically in the US would have been post and beam, where you'd have very large massive posts in corners of the building, and then beams that would run uh, across the tops of those posts. And that's what would support the weight of the, the, weight of, the uh, of the structure. Um, so the, the balloon frame or the stick construction is great, but it uses a lot of nails. And so in a time period where nails are really expensive, you wouldn't want to do that because the nails would be too expensive. And so people did post and beam, even though you had to cut mortise and tenon joints and do all kinds of other time consuming things to, to make the post and beam work. But once nails are cheap enough, 
then the balloon frame construction uh, makes a lot of sense. And that is a, I think it's just a wonderful example of how changes in the price of a very simple product can have very significant downstream effects and affect, in this case, the, it, the, the whole style of uh, home construction in the U.S. Why was there a shift to uh, wire nails, even though they were more expensive? Yeah, again, a really interesting question. So this was late 19th century. Uh, during most of the 19th century, nails were so-called cut nails, where a rolled sheet of iron or steel would get hit by a blade to cut wedge-shaped uh, nails out of that sheet of, uh, sheet of steel or iron. Wire nails, of course, are made by taking a spool of wire, cutting, a, cutting an appropriate length off, and then putting a head and a tip on it. So uh, on a per pound basis, uh, wire nails were more expensive when they were first introduced. But wire nails are thinner and skinnier than a cut nail. And so on a per nail basis, they're actually less expensive. And so uh, in part because they can be manufactured in a continuous process way uh, and less complex, uh, less complex set of uh, steps in manufacturing them. And so really on a per nail basis, the price was lower and they pretty quickly came to dominate the market for nails. I wonder how many more economists we have if this was like their people's first introduction uh, to economics. It's such a fascinating, uh, a fascinating paper. But the so we had the uh, this long term decline in nail prices, but then it sort of stopped. Why did it stop, and when did it stop? Yeah, so it stopped in about the 1930s. So you could think of the golden age of nail manufacturing or golden age of nail productivity running from late 1700s through about the 1930s, mid 20th century. And then a number of things happened. Uh, one, there was an uptick in materials prices. So starting mid 20th century, general uptrend in commodity prices, absolutely involving steel key input to making uh, nails. So that was one contributing factor. There's another likely important factor that gets a bit deep into the weeds of price measurement, but Starting in the mid 20th century, uh, the production of uh, standard common nails, the kind of thing you'd buy in a one pound box at Home Depot really shifted overseas. And so rather than being domestically produced, those really became largely imported goods. And so really in the US today, and really it's process that started in the 1950s and then progressed on, but in the US today, the really basic kinds of nails that you get at Home Depot really aren't very much produced in the US. So the folks at the Bureau of Labor Statistics who tracked these prices had a problem because they want to track with the producer price index, track nail prices produced by U.S. producers, but the U.S. producers disappeared. So they had to start tracking a broader and broader category. And the nail companies in the U.S. that continue to make nails started making specialty nails and high tech nails for specialized high stress applications. And it is likely the case that the price of those specialty nails is rising faster than was the price of just the common nails being imported from uh, overseas. And so we have a little bit of an issue of what actually is priced. So some of that price increase from the 1950s really reflects material prices going up. Some of it probably reflects uh, challenges that the statisticians faced in putting together a consistent price index. 
Of course, that, that's also a story about the uh, American economy too, where maybe we still do some manufacturing, but it becomes higher value added manufacturing. I'm not sure if that was your intent telling that story, but that's the first thing I thought of. Yes. So, so it really is part of my intent in telling that story, because I think, again, nails, nails touch on so many different interesting aspects of the evolution of the American economy and that basic manufactured goods started to be uh, produced in countries other than the U.S. And we started uh, importing them. And nails are kind of a canonical example of that. It happened earlier for nails than for many other products, because by the 1950s, the basic technology of making simple wire nails was pretty well understood and not, not really terribly complicated or sophisticated. But then we do bring in a, a, a sort of a final technological leap, the nail gun. How did how that affect your work and, and your conclusions? Yeah, so again, nails touch on so many different dimensions of uh, the evolution of, of the economy. Uh, so 1980s nail guns became a, uh, became a thing. And nail guns are really interesting because if you want to think about what people are concerned with or interested in is the price of an installed nail uh, rather than just literally the price of a nail that you could hold in your hand. Because they so much speed up the rate at which nails can be uh, installed and, and can be you know, put in place, turns out that nail guns significantly reduce the cost of an installed nail. So we did see in the mid 20th century, this increase in the price of nails, but a decent chunk of that was offset, at least in the construction trades, was offset by the advent of the nail guns that held down the price of an installed nail because a construction worker using a nail gun could get a lot more nails installed in an hour than could a construction worker using a, using a conventional hammer. Doing this paper again, which is uh, so interesting and so much of it's, you know, really very readable for the layman. Uh, did it change? Did you learn something about innovation? Did it change uh, your view of innovation? Did it clarify anything? I think the main thing that it clarified for me is that it's important to look at simple products as well as complex products. Uh, I have done a lot of price measurement research and have often looked at high-tech products, so computers, cell phones, um, and things where there's really dramatic change. And it's really important to think hard about the right statistical techniques to use to capture that. But the thing this highlighted for me, the nails work highlighted for me, is that the really important changes in everyday simple products, and that those also are very important for uh, very important for understanding the evolution of the economy, the evolution of trade, uh, and the effect that developments in one product can have on downstream industries. Um, I also think, coming back to your point about uh, earlier point about literature and how the world's changed, it also I think provides a really interesting window into just how much the world has changed since, say, the late 1700s when nails were nearly half a percent of the economy. Dan, that was wonderful. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Delighted, delighted to join you. Thanks for having me.